Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is. It is the 16th of February, 2022. War is looking like it's looming. What does that mean for the U.S.? Well, let's go do a couple of looks real quick and just see what type of stuff is available that the bad guys could easily get into. And this, again, is not indicative of everything that's possibly available. This is also not indicative or a... Uh, statement of what the adversary probably already has their hands in so running a shirt a search say that three times fast a search and showed and a search and showed and search showed a search and showed in for SCADA so I'm just looking for stuff that has a affiliation with those types of industrial control systems in the United States right now I see 117 that are pretty available gives me some interesting information uh, I see stuff around mobility i see stuff around telecommunications i see phone systems let's see what else is here uh cable so tv and internet uh comms basically com stuff all right i wonder what if we look for anything in the electric sort of side of the world what we might find <clears throat> and these are very simple queries to run. You just have to know kind of the namiology that you would use inside of Shodan. So right now I'm looking for stuff that's affiliated with industrial control systems that also has the tag for electric. Uh, I see 20,859 that are out there. Um, the top ports, 443. There's also some non-standard ports, which are always interesting. Uh, products, Apache, R-Sync, lots of old stuff. Operating systems are pretty specific and lots of them are pretty old. The newest one I see is uh, version 6.1. Um, so, and that was last updated, looks like according to this, in 2013, 14. Mm, so, almost a decade old. Cool. What about the organizations that are tied into there? Uh, electric, down in Florida uh networks uh partnerships college university um uh, manufacturing more universities more manufacturing public schools um wow yeah so look the point i'm making here is that this is just some dude on the internet with nothing to do looking around and doing a little bit of poking Imagine if I have this access and I can find these things that are this vulnerable by just kind of poking around if you are a nation state and think about how deep they already are into the system. Now, we've already seen attacks that have been launched on Ukraine um, within the context of this combat sort of scenario that's breaking out. Cyber is a first strike capability. What's to say that they don't back off because it seems like they're backing up with the ground troops and just change their approach uh, and start going after cyber. And then on the far side of that equation, what is the deterrent for them to not attack the United States if we impose really nasty sanctions or whatever the hell that means? Does he think it's going to make a lick of difference? You think Putin cares? No. Um, it's a different world we live in. It is a different world that we live in right now. Uh, troubling, honestly. Troubling, troubling, troubling. Brian Krebs published another really good rundown uh, this week on uh, 
Wazawaka. Um, Wazawaka is a, uh, an, an entity, an individual who left some clues behind with a hacker handle. Um, he was part of a Russian cyber, uh, Russian speaking cyber crime gang. Um, he goes through this whole run through on what this guy's doing and kind of how he tied it together. Um, if you want to see a good example of investigative research that is done in the cyberspace, obviously everybody already knows this, but I mean, the stuff that this guy writes is uh, incredible. So I'm not going to go through it because it is a lot of names. It's a lot of uh, this ties to that. It's these guys doing this. I mean, he broke it down to the nitty gritty. But if, you, if you're really interested about this stuff, I would say go look this up because um, it's incredibly enlightening to see all of the back and forth that takes place and who talks to what and how this whole thing actually works. Now, following on to that, this is a little bit tangential, but still very interesting. Uh, Chainalysis, which is kind of an interesting name. Um, how the FBI investigators trace Darkseid's funds following the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack. Now, I don't know jack about um, crypto and whatever else other than Matt Damon is schlepping some you know thing on the internet and people keep asking me at the Super Bowl party because if you do anything in computers, you must know what the fuck crypto is. Um, I don't know what, what all is really going on there. I know enough to be relatively, uh, useless, but there, there's people that are way smarter. So this thing has got a pretty good rundown on exactly how this happened and where the money moved and who was doing what, um, you know, on May 7, 2021, colonial pipeline supplies energy to the East coast, uh, fell victim to ransomware attack forcing it to cease operations within hours of the attack. Colonial paid a ransom of 75 Bitcoins worth about 4 million bucks to dark side. Uh, the Russian based cyber criminal group responsible for the attack. Six days later, colonial and the FBI were able to resume operations. But during that time, the shutdown combined with panic buying as a news spread, which caused bad stuff all over the East coast. I'm in Virginia. Um, we did have a bump in gas prices. We didn't lose oil and gas, but it did happen in some other areas around here. A month later, there was good news. The Department of Justice, the FBI, announced that it had managed to seize 2.3 million of the 4.4 million from Colonial's ransom payment following an investigation. Chainalysis, chainalysis, I guess that's how it chain, chainal, chainalysis, whatever, is proud to say that our tools aided the FBI. So, pretty bold statement from this particular organization here saying that they were involved. I don't know that I'd be poking the ransomware monsters if I were them, but uh, hey, I don't, you know, how do you say it? Uh, I like your balls. Well, wait, that doesn't sound good. Anyway, um, nice balls. No, that's not even better. So anyway, so let's let's start by looking at the ransom payment itself and the initial movement of funds using this thing they call the Chainalysis, Chainalysis Reactor. Uh, it's got a run through on kind of which things go where, uh, which payment addresses are tied to which uh, administrator accounts, and then it goes to how they paid it out. Um, if you've been interested in how this whole thing works and how you're able to take money back from something that everyone says is untraceable, go read this report. It's on blog.chainalysis.com. Uh, it's, it's got a whole lot of really good breakdowns. It's enough that even a dummy like me is able to understand what does what and which things go where and how these two things work back and forth. Um, so I, I thought that this was very informative. Um, I think more people that aren't you know, really experts in crypto should go read these types of things because it's very, very interesting. <clears throat> uh, more stuff that came out. If you've been following what's going on with the federal government, 
and a lot of what the uh, sort of work going on is around strengthening American cybersecurity. There's a published publication on govinfo.gov. Um, it's S.3600PCS, uh, Strengthening American Cybersecurity Act of 2022. Now, I had to go dig through a bit of things to get down to the nitty gritty on this because it's typical government stuff where you have this over there and this over there, and then there's a reference to that, and you have to you know, really dig at it to find it. But um, the bill was made available, so you can read through the whole thing, uh, 0209-2022, um, 117th Congress, Session 2, uh, the bill history, a bill to improve the cybersecurity of the federal government and for other and uh, for other purposes, blah, blah, blah. So if you go read through that, which I did, it's 214 pages. Um, it's pretty long. It's lots and lots of very high level things that you would typically get in a, any government reporting or bill or whatever else. Uh, it's useful um, because there is some valuable information here. And I think that this is good because it helps provide some context into what uh, we need in the space. But you don't get into actual strategy that they're talking about until 108 pages into this document. Um, this is where it finally, and this is, I think, you know, useful for understanding how the marketing side of the media in cyber is running around with this stuff. 108 pages in before I finally get to something that even talks about zero trust. You know, uh, SEC 114 implementing zero trust architecture, page 108. Um, not later than 18 months after the date of this enactment, uh, the director, which is the director of the systems for the federal government, shall provide an update to the appropriate congressional committees on progress in increasing the internal defenses of agency systems, including... Shifting away from trusted networks. Okay, cool. Implementing principles of least privilege. Uh-huh. Uh, limiting the ability of entities that cause incidents to move laterally. Yep, DT-ish. Identifying incidents quickly. Yeah. Isolating and removing unauthorized entities. Okay. Otherwise, increasing the resource costs from entities that cause incidents to be successful. Uh, and a summary of agency progress reports required under subsection B, which now you got to go read through subsection B, which I did because I'm a loser. Um there's a whole lot of stuff in here about the progress reports. They're not really that granular, but then again, this is a bill that's kind of a first shot over the bow, but it goes through the different types of reporting. Uh, and I think what is the takeaway is this thing starts talking about zero trust strategically on page 108, and it sort of um, only goes to page 110. So in less than, let's see, from in uh, one to... About it's about 36 lines in a 214 page document where the act actually talks about enabling ZT. Um, is it a step forward? Yes. Is it really that valuable? Probably not enough, in my opinion. Um, and if you go through what they talk about in the rest of this document, everything is stuff that I would think, having worked in the federal government and worked on classified systems where you have cat cards and all the other stuff it's already pretty much there. So what is the issue? Is it that we haven't aligned well enough for the last 30 plus years to do this correctly? Is it we haven't spent enough money? Well, that can't be the case because the budget for this year, 2022 for cyber uh, was $10.4 billion. Um, and that's already been passed. 
the document, which was passed back in, I believe it was August, um, $50.6 billion in information technology and cyberspace activities, 10.4 billion uh, includes 5.5 billion specifically for cybersecurity, 4.3 billion for cyberspace operations, and 510.9 million in R&D for cyber. Um, the top line funding here also includes 605 million for U.S. Cyber Command's general budget. <clears throat> it's uh, you know the House at that time also created the Cyber Command Cyber Mission Force. No, no, no. So um, the the point I'm trying to make is it this document is good. Maybe don't run so hardcore with the marketing side of ZT is now you know, uh, done a given, et cetera. And the federal government, it's coming, it's happening. It's slow roll. We had 30 something lines in a 200 and some page document. It's going to take time. But I, I think the real point of this is it's not about, this is, it could not possibly be any clearer that if you're an organization that has spent lots and lots of money and you haven't aligned on the strategy side of this over the long term, it doesn't matter if you've spent billions of dollars per year, you're not going to be better until you step back and say, this is where we're going. This is the plan. These are the things that we're doing. We're removing these capabilities from the adversary and just go on about your way and do the long haul. Um, it's good. It's useful. Uh, we need more of this, but it is not the uh, watershed moment that I think we've seen um, from a lot of people in the sort of specific cyber media place saying ZT is a thing in the federal government. No, it's it's there. Um, they're putting some effort in it, but we're talking about 32 lines in a 214 page document. So just slow it down a little bit. We'll take a breath. Is it a watershed moment that that specifically has been put in there? Yes. Um, but it's going to take a time and it's going to take a long, long time. So look at that. Now there was a, a note within that, um, within that publication that referenced something else, which was kind of troubling. And this was Another bill that was passed in the same congressional sitting um, that was talked about the American Cybersecurity Literacy Act, which was approved by 408 to 17 vote and would require the National Telecommunications and Infrastructure Administration, NTIA, to develop and roll out a cybersecurity literacy program to educate Americans about cyber risk. Um, bipartisan bill. This this was schlepped into the same congressional sitting as the other thing where they approved um, the the Cybersecurity uh, Improvement Act. So, you know, this is something that you, if you follow what goes on with government, you see this happen all the time. Um, I, don't, I don't understand this one. I don't know that it makes a lot of sense that we're spending taxpayer dollars on this to educate people on cybersecurity risks and threats. Uh, we we've already got that. <laughs> we've already got a lot of that. You uh, go talk to 20 people and ask them what a phishing email is. They'll know what it is. Go talk to 20 people and ask them what a bad password is. They'll at least know what it is. Talk to them about ransomware. Most of them will say, oh, it's that thing where somebody takes over your computer. I don't know that it's worth us spending dollars and cents on something like this that's going to slow down and spider off into other things that get funded for whatever when instead it should be all oars in the water, all paddling towards the same end state. Um, it, 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 if you're not paying attention to what's going on in the halls of Congress, folks, go look because it, um, you see this type of stuff working its way through the, the mix. And it's not, 
it's not good uh, that it that this is how it happens. <clears throat> it just slow, slows things down. It weighs on the bill process and procedures. It doesn't really help us get to where we're trying to go faster. So anyway, uh, another article, ZDNet, cybersecurity. These countries are the new hacking threats to fear as offensive campaigns escalate, written by Danny Palmer. I like what Danny Palmer writes. He writes really good stuff. I don't think that we should be saying stuff like fear, personally. This is my two cents, so I'm standing on my soapbox on my opinion side. I think we've had enough fear. Uh, I'm not afraid. I wake up every day and look at my bank account and look at my, and I mean, I'm using a machine right now. I'm using accesses and whatever. I know for a fact there's something in here is hacked, something in here is compromised. My machine sounds like a fucking F-14 trying to take off. Um, I've run software on it. I've, you know, I've done everything I can possibly do. I have MFA on all my accounts, et cetera. But every single one of us could and probably will be compromised at some point. Um, not afraid. It's just, it's a given. It's going to happen. I'm going to die too, eventually. I'm not afraid of death. I don't want to die. And I'm not looking to get there any faster than I have to, but it's going to happen. It's a given. So am I afraid of it? No. Um, am I aware of it? Yes. Do I do what I should to try and avoid it? Absolutely. Um, and am I running roughshod into the grave? Absolutely not. But I don't think we need more fear. So maybe change the headline just a little bit, Danny, next time you publish one of these. So um, good report, though. The number of hostile nations uh, state hacking operations is rising as new countries invest in cyber intrusion campaigns and existing state-backed attack groups take advantage of the rise in organizations adopting cloud. CrowdStrike's 2022 Global Threat Report, great report, deals uh, details how the cyber threat landscape has evolved during the past year. One of those developments is the rise of new countries engaging in offensive cyber operations, including Turkey and Colombia. Now, quickly, the question comes to mind for me, are we certain that they are doing these activities or are they just launch points for some other entity that's using them as a jump box to get towards, you know, systems? I mean, you could say that any country on the earth is there, but uh, there's a lot of connectivity in Colombia. Turkey's in a very strategic location with lots of fiber running through it. Um, what's the likelihood that the adversary has seen that there's uh, a lot of compromised and vulnerable machines there and they're using them for, uh, for launches? Um, just, just a thought. <clears throat> um, and then it goes into all the different naming that the CrowdStrike does, which I covered that recently. Freaking Wolf and Ocelot and blah. I don't, I don't even know. We're just naming weird shit animals and whatever else. Uh, meth monkey, you know, turkey bastard or something it just whatever cosmic wolf they call one of them in here um okay great it'll be called something else by somebody else but they talk about aws as a prime target they talk about what stolen usernames and password shocker um they talk about using protocols that are direct connect the vpns uh-huh <clears throat> so you know I, I think the takeaway from here honestly is other organizations other countries have seen that there's an opportunity here potentially we don't know definitively, especially since we're not in the classified space, whether or not this is really them. It could just be a jump box. However, lots of jump boxes. Um, but it's probably worth for everybody else that's in the space to realize that threats continue to grow and evolve. And if we're not dealing with the reality of those threats, be they from Colombia or Turkey or the moon or whatever, with the right strategic approach that actually removes what the adversary needs, like what it says they use, which is usernames, passwords, VPNs, SSH protocol, blah, blah. We're not going to get any better. We just continue to kick the can down the road. And again, you know, back to my 
first thing on this. I don't think you need to be afraid. Um, I don't think there should be fear. Uh, it, it, it's it, be aware. Don't be afraid. Be aware. Uh, last one, darkreading.com published a pretty interesting, um, and the individual that wrote this, uh, is a threat intelligence research researcher at reversing labs. Um, his name honestly is, uh, something that I can't even try and pronounce and I don't want to do the disservice of butchering it, but look up the report, darkreading.com. Um, I want to say his name's Rob G could be maybe, I'm maybe way off. And if I am, I apologize. The title of the report is Ransomware Threat Intel. You're soaking in it, okay? Um, ransomware is the preeminent cyber threat facing both public and private sector organizations. By one estimate, around four in 10 organizations have experienced a ransomware attack. Sure. Um, moreover, the stakes of ransomware incidents have risen right along with their frequency. Today's ransomware attacks are complex feats of extortion. Ransomware attacks have been leaked to all kinds of critical infrastructure, hospital, blah, blah, blah. Um, it goes kind of into the the threat that's being the intel the threat intel that's being used he talks about the difference between quality threat intel and data which we've covered on this podcast before but it goes into ttps the what the where the how the why um it talks specifically in here and this is what i thought was really interesting use local threat intel if your organization is just setting up a threat intelligence program you may encounter a common problem where to start after all many security teams often have little to no budget to fund threat intelligence programs which is very true the good news is that the answer to that question is right under your nose and costs you almost nothing to leverage. Threat intelligence harvested from your environment, which really what he means is data and telemetry from your systems, is among the most valuable and actionable information your team has. Collect it. You log it already. Why not use it? What kind of threat intelligence? When it comes to catching ransomware groups in the act, everything goes into the pot. Everything. All the data. All data is good. All the things. Network scans to start, but also malicious emails, malicious redirects, intrusion detection alerts, endpoint scans, and more. Great stuff there. Use it all. It could be good data. It could be good data. It's not intelligence until you can actually apply it, though. He also talks about using free threat intelligence fees. So this is good because this is a vendor saying get free stuff. After you make the most of your internal threat intelligence, consider using some of the many free external threat intelligence sources, open source threat intel feeds. There's a hot link to a bunch of threat intel feeds there. Come in many uh, forms and include information feeds from VirusTotal, FBI's InfraGuard, SANS ISC Storm Center, and other IT and security vendors. Um, however, and this is worth saying, you get what you pay for. Free threat intelligence feed are offered as is and are often voluminous, voluminous, blah, excuse me, and poorly tailored to the needs of your organization. True, but if you've got people that know how to work with data, you can make it where it's a little bit more tailored or even better than what you would get with a vendor. That can make it difficult to operationalize. Improperly used data from these feeds can inject noise. Yes, absolutely into threat hunting, okay, fair, and threat intelligence functions and pairing response. So good article. Um, I would say go read through this because he does have hot links to stuff that's worth looking at. Um, it does, it's a very realistic rundown on what the problem that it is, um, that especially for looking for ransomware. Uh, and it's, it's practical, which is what you always are trying to get out of uh, advice. And anytime I see a vendor saying something like, go get free stuff, I think that that's worth noting. Well, I'm moving fast today because uh, there's other stuff that's going on uh, that's more important than me rambling incoherently on some podcast. Uh, you know, prayers for all the folks that are overseas. Um, God bless those that are, you know, facing down the 
the threat that's out there. Um, keep your head on the swivel, folks. Be safe, be smart, be secure. Catch you on the next one. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.